1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read uh, 10 through 17. Uh, Corinthians is an interesting uh, book. It is, uh, uh, Corinth was the um, uh, city that Paul went to on his second missionary journey. And uh, he, uh, uh, it, it, it's an interesting town because it was, uh, it is, it is um, located on the southern part of Greece, and it is in, a, in kind of a land bridge area in which uh, the land gets really narrow there. And so what made Corinth such an important uh, city was that it was, um, it was kind of a seaport, although most of its life it didn't have any sea running to it. But the, the, the truth is the fact that they had, to, they had two choices to bring their ships uh, when they went around uh, went on the southern part of Greece. One was to go around the point, which was 250 miles, which would have taken them a long time to journey, or to take their ships and to put them on rollers or logs and to push and pull their ship over four miles uh, over the land by Corinth and put it from the Aegean Sea to the Ionian Sea. And uh, that's where many of the ship uh, owners uh, chose to do because it took a lot shorter time. And uh, today, um, there is actually a 70-foot channel that was cut into that land, and now they pull ships through that area. And so, but of course... You must realize that if commerce and prosperity comes to a city, an ancient city, it's no different like when we become rich, right? All the evil, all the negative, all the things come along with it. And so um, Corinth was a, um, an idol-worshiping town, uh, and they had... Um, uh, temple prostitutes uh, that would work uh, the cities, and, uh, and so they were um, immersed in this. But Paul, coming to Corinth, staying with them for a year and a half, um, developed a church. God's spirit moved a church. The kingdom of God grew, and this, this fledgling of a church um, started to grow. And so Paul... Um, being kind of the spiritual father, even though he kept traveling, he kept in touch with them. We have two of at least three letters that he wrote to them. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 5, the ninth verse, it says that before 1 Corinthians was written, there was a letter that was written before that. And so uh, it's, kinda, it's called one of the lost uh, uh, letters, but uh, he, it was also corrective in nature. In, uh, in this, in this uh, uh, book that we have, this letter that was written, uh, we have Paul's account of some things that he's very concerned about in regards to the Corinth church, the Corinthian church. That uh, there was some really, really evil things going on there. There was family incest that was happening within the body of the church. There was... Um, there was all kinds of things like uh, um, uh, um, sexual immorality and um, uh, uh, 
there was a question on how should we worship. There was, uh, there was, there was deep concerns about how the family was treating each other. And, uh, and so he's writing this letter in regards to that and, um, and in regards to food sacrificed to idols, um, abuse of the Lord's Supper, and other issues. But I want, you to, I want you to walk into this passage that we're going to read today and realize that the Apostle Paul took the issue that he's addressing and put it up above every other issue. And he addresses it not just out of the gate, but he also addresses it through the whole letter in different ways. And so as you read this, I want your mind to be thinking about what in the world was so important to the Apostle Paul that out of all the issues that he had to deal with, this one he comes out of the gate with. Let's read. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions. There's the issue. No divisions among you. But that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Cleo's household have informed me that you are quarreling among you. What I mean is this, that one of you say, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, Cephas. Another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanias. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Of its power. Amen. Amen. Pray with me as we go into this scripture together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege, the young and old, that we get to assemble together to hear your word, not from a human mouth, but from yours. Not necessarily even by the words that are spoken by the human, but by the fact that your Holy Spirit is in this place and that you desire oneness amongst us, even, even when it goes against our human nature. Even when it pushes against because of, of what could be so separation, what could be so divisive, what could be so, and, and logically, Father, it makes sense to us that we would not be one. But we have to remember that truth is not always logical. And logic is, is not always truth. And so, Father, we come before this passage perfectly with undivided hearts within ourselves because we're one in Christ. With undivided hearts as a family, may we be challenged for as Ryan prayed to us, it is the testimony of who we really are and how Christ really 
does work in and through us as we come together as one people, one hope, one baptism, one faith, one God who is God over all. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. So as we approach this, um, I find it interesting because I think what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us here is the fact that you want to know if there's worldliness among you. You want to know if the culture is infiltrating into the family of God. Look at your oneness. Look at how your hearts are together because the evil one is always working to divide and to separate. Most ridiculous thing we, I think we have is denominations. We're all the family of God. And we need to claim those truths more closely than the fact of our differences in the way that we worship and the differences in the way we do things. I believe that Paul really, if he would, if he would be talking to them right now, he would probably quote his brother John when he says, you know, John, 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world nor things of the world. We're supposed to affect the culture But as in Corinth, so is in American Christianity. We're struggling with separating from culture. In fact, the Corinth immorality was such a great immorality that when evil was done, they would say the phrase, to behave like a Corinthian. And so as we we go into this time... um, Paul starts out with division. And so the title of my message is Living on Division Street. Absolutely no pun to that. (laughs) Why is this so important? Because the Apostle Paul heard in his spirit the same thing that Jesus Christ himself taught, and that's this. In Matthew 20, 12, 25, it says, Every kingdom divided against itself, will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Now the interesting thing, and especially for me today, I didn't even know how important this would be to me. It was in the midst in which Jesus Christ himself was being uh, called uh, that he was driving out demons by the power of Satan or Beelzebub. And, you know, you can't, He's trying to tell them that even the satanic world cannot do its work effectively if it's not unified. If it's not unified. We had in our, our, um, as as we were wrestling as a team on whether we should walk forward with this 24-hour work, uh, 24-hour project, um, and we were just, you know, we were seeking the Lord. We were, we, were, we were throwing every idea out there of why we shouldn't do this. And um, <laughs> because it is out of the box. I get that. It's different. But as the chosen says, get used to different. Because when the Spirit's moving, who knows where it's going? Only Him. He gets to do anything He wants in and among our lives. Amen. He does. And so anyways, as we're wrestling, uh, it was brought to our attention that in the demonic world, uh, they many times will pray through the night for our destruction. They work hard at destroying. 
us. And I even heard it was back in the 90s uh, that uh, there, were, uh, uh, there were witches that were flying from out of, the, out of the state, coming into the state to pray against pastors that were being effective for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, a Christian um, who was flying back happened to be sitting next to one, and they bragged about it. They bragged about it. And so, um, if... If the occult, if Satan worshipers work hard to be one, why aren't we? Why aren't we? Why wasn't the Corinth church, in the midst of all the things, why wasn't the Corinth church? Listen to, uh, uh, to what um, Paul said in the 16th chapter of Romans. When it comes to divisions, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, so this is after all the theology of Romans, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Obstacles. Obstacles to what? What do you think the reason why the enemy would want us to be separated and put obstacles in our way? And when there's no unity, what? There's no gospel going out. Because we're so caught up in in the divisiveness of what we disagree on and how we're separated and how I could never walk with that person, that the gospel never truly goes. Oh, you might use flattering words. You might even say the gospel. But you have to understand that the gospel goes forth out of, out of, not just words, but the action of the Holy Spirit working through our hearts and the power of the Holy Spirit working through our hearts to touch the lives of other people. And that power is cut off when God's people are not together, are not unified. So, I think it's... um, yeah, and, 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 and so, okay, so he opens this up, right? I mean, this is important to Paul. He says, look at what he says in verse 10. He says, I appeal to you. In another version, it says, I exhort you. It's a cry from the apostle's heart to, le- to let in what he's trying to teach. Um, to, he's, he's away from them. And so, you know, he is crying to them through this letter. In chapter five, he says these words. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit, And the power of the Lord Jesus is present. Unity is not just about being sitting in the same pews, in the same seats. It's about the fact that we're one with each other all over. I have, by by God's mercy this morning, I have several people that are praying for me right now. Right now. Because not that don't go to this church. I hope there's someone praying for me right now in the church. But but they are praying all over the state, and I think even out of state, if I'm not mistaken. 
because of the thing that unfolded this morning, but also I think that God is, this is a, such a huge thing. So Paul is, is appealing to his people to listen because he's one in spirit with them even though he's away from them. But the other thing is this. He's appealing to them as brothers and sisters. He loves them. He loves them. Love is a powerful force in the family of God. Someone said this, uh, this week in a sermon, if your congregation believes you love them, they'll listen to the words you speak to them. If they're not convinced that you love them, they won't listen. And so the Apostle Paul's coming with appeal of the one spirit and of love. And so, I, I, I don't know about you, I want to know what the obstacles are. Do you? Do you? I absolutely, because if I'm living out an obstacle, I want to get rid of it. Don't you? Absolutely, I do. Absolutely, I do. And so, let's, uh, let's find out. First of all, in verse 10 is our first obstacle. It says that, um, that all of you should agree with one another in what you say. In what you say. The Holy Spirit in John 16 is called the Spirit of Truth. He, he, the Spirit, will glorify me because it is from me that he receives what he will make known, that chapter says. The Spirit of God will always draw people's hearts together around the Word of God. Around the Word of God. Why? Because he witnesses one truth from one source, and that's God. The knowledge of God is not summed up, listen to me, in the accumulation of information, but in the depth of knowing Jesus Christ. Doctrinal agreement centers around Jesus Christ. Disagreement centers around man's interpretation. We will find unity and agreement in Jesus Christ, as we both pull together closer to Christ. You, you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. To leave it at just gaining knowledge is so American and so short of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is knowing Christ and knowing him more. In America, we resort to that accumulation of knowledge and the end result of Christianity, but not growing in our relationship with the Lord. How does this work out? In the unwillingness to confront sin or bend our will to God's will. James tells us, do not merely, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I've been walking with a group of guys for a period of time, and we've gone through something called the Conqueror Series, and there's a pastor that just does a really great job of saying that if, if, he says, he said that, that belief does not necessarily equal understanding or knowledge. He says, in America, we are covering up lives in our, lies in our lives with a whole bunch of knowledge, believing that the more knowledge we know, the better we are. And yet he says, all we've done is covered up the lie with more information. And he says, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to pierce through the information and apply it to our lives, and that we stand up, we pray the prayer, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know how they do God's will in heaven? Now! 
Do we also do the same thing? Or has, has even just the accumulation of the word become an obstacle to our church as it did in, in all the disagreement that happened? The Bible says don't get caught up in words. Get caught up in the Spirit of God and let the Spirit move you together. Address your life. Have you walk with each other in one. History tells us this is true because they were given a word. I have given you a new land and you will possess it. They got to Kadesh Barnea. They didn't believe the word of God. Oh, they knew it. They'd accumulated it, but they didn't believe it. See, belief is different than what you think you know. Because you don't really know until you live it out. Once you live it out, you know it. Amen to that? Amen. 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 Live it. Glenn Dunn always tells me, I don't memorize the Bible at all. I just live it and it becomes part of me. Really? Yeah. I think he's probably taken that a little far. He's in the Word of God all the time, but, but he's right. First obstacle, obstacle to the Word. Are you really believing what you are reading by the way you're living? They were not. That's why the culture came in. Second obstacle is 10C. It says this, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and in thought. It's the obstacle, obstacle uh, op, now I can't say it. <laughs> obstacle, thank you, to completeness or oneness. Perfect is defined as complete. Perfect doesn't have anything to do with that you do everything perfectly right. It's that perfection is that you have oneness with Christ. And your completeness is found in that oneness. And yes, the Spirit will lead you. But how many of you are perfect? If there's one in here, it isn't me. No. But it is a movement, and that sanctification is all about, is a movement and a growing. Philippians 2 tells us this, that it is the joy of the Lord as we walk in one mind and one heart with each other. That we think about the needs of others more than ourselves and that we become a people that are so integrated into each other's lives that we bring joy to our Father in heaven. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we walk in division with each other. Because we, just like Nazareth in Jesus' day, that he couldn't even perform miracles among them because of their lack of faith. There was no unity. Faith always builds unity because it, built, it is built around one God. We must remember what I call the trinity of unity. First, the source of unity is the Lord himself. Is the Lord inside you? Does the Lord live inside your heart? Answer that question. 
The source of unity is the Lord himself. We live out our faith in Christ honestly when we draw near to each other as well as him. The second is the purpose of unity is to glorify God. The only true creator of the universe is the only one that can hold people in the universe together. There is nobody else. Hitler tried it. He couldn't do it. Stalin tried it. Couldn't do it. There's only one who can hold people in unity. And third, so the source of unity, Lord, purpose of unity to glorify God, and the power of unity is the advancement of the gospel. Don't lose that. Don't lose that in your heart. We desire that the gospel go forward. Disunity will halt the gospel, and it has. If we're honest with ourselves, it has at times in, the, in, our, in our midst. But God desires that the gospel go forward out of the pier. In fact, that's who we are, aren't we? We are people who invest in eternal riches. Can anybody name me what those riches are? Others, the heart of a, the soul of a human. Eternal life. And, yeah, yeah, right? The word of God. The word of God and the heart of a human being. Both go exactly where you say, to eternal life. Both God, we're not wasting our time here. We're not just playing religion here. We're not just, hey, we're, you know, we're, we're just somebody on Division Street. No, we are here for a purpose. God called us. Every single one of the core team knew it. If we're not obeying that, we're the ones that are at fault. And so... First obstacle is the word. The second obstacle is our unity. The third obstacle found in 11 says this, that there is quarreling among you. The third obstacle is peace. At Christmas time, what was one of Christ's name out of Isaiah? Prince of Peace. Huh. I wonder if that's important. Absolutely it is important. Absolutely. He's the one that brings, he, he is. He says, the, the peace I bring, not like the world. The world says if you have enough money, if you have the right guy, if you have the right gal, if you have, if you have everything in place, you'll have peace on this earth. He says, I, not like that. Not like that. It isn't about your bank account. It isn't about your fame at work. It's not about anything like that. It's in me. It's spiritual peace that penetrates to the, to the soul, the center soul of a human being. And it causes a peace that surpasses understanding. And in the midst of quarreling, there is a great destruction that is happening in the family of God. Proverbs 17, 14 says this, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Now, I want to I make something clear here. If there is somebody that is sinning in the church, you're not breaking a quarrel out. You're going to them and saying, my child, I love you. I will tell you the truth, and I will not, I will not back it off because I want more for you. I want more for you. But it's quarreling comes in when we take our opinion or our point of view and we, we shove it on. There's but so much quarreling that has come in the church because we have equated politics. 
with Christianity. Keep it out. God has a sword there. He'll take care of it. Our job is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's separate it. That doesn't mean some people shouldn't be going into politics. They should, but politics should not come into the church. It's not our place. We pray for our president. We pray for those put in place. Um, We don't sit and quarrel. I met with a man this week. A lot of children. And uh, I met him through Set Free. And uh, he said, Wayne, he said, I got to talk to you. He said, uh, he said my son has become uh, very politically um, uh, driven. And he says, we can't even talk about the Lord without quarreling with each other. It's, yeah. It's a spirit that has put itself in. How does God feel about quarreling? Listen to the message in Romans 1. It says these words toward the end of the chapter. Since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. And then all hell broke loose. Rampant evil, grabbing and grasping, vicious backstabbing. Hear it? They made life hell on earth with their envy, wanton killing, bickering, cheating, Look at them, mean-spirited, venomous, forked-tongued, God-bashers, bullies, swaggerers, insufficient windbags. They keep inventing new ways of wrecking lives. Yes. I don't preach out of the message, but every once in a while it's like, huh, he gets it. Quarreling and grumbling comes from not trusting in the direction of God's spirit and family. If you remember, the Israelites grumbled against God. In fact, they got to the point that, that not only did they, they, they grumbled, they, they said, we don't like the manna anymore. Food from heaven. We're sick of it. We're sick of this. Does anybody remember what happened? Something about snakes. Something about snakes. Bit them and they died. And then it points to Jesus. Amen. This is, this is important to say out loud. If you hear anyone speaking against the family of God at the pier, you have my authority and the authority of, I'm sure I can speak on our core team's part, uh, to, um, uh, to confront them. If you hear me speak against anyone or this church, you have the authority to, to call me out. Because I am, and the spirit inside of me is tired of what's going on and what, we, what I've heard. And it's been going on for a while. We've been trained real well through COVID how to do this. And if you don't think there was a spirit of deception that came through that time, uh, you are living a blind life in this world. Never in history is America so divided than it is today. And, it's, and it is ramped up. I'm reading a book by Erwin Lutzer, and he's just talking about what's going on in our political world and, uh, and what's going on in the world around here, what's going on in schools, what's going on in all kinds of areas of commerce. And it is ridiculous how divided we are. And it's got to stop. And quite honestly, people of God, I think that We're the only ones that can bring that back into America. 
And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only message that will bring peace back into our country. If, you're, if you don't believe that, you're in the wrong place. Fourth obstacle. Verse, verse 12. Obstacle to leadership. Says, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, Cephas. Another, Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And then he goes on and says, I'm so grateful that I didn't do these things among you like baptism and other things with so many people so that nobody can attach to my name. I don't think there's a lot of difference from the day of Corinth in which Rome was under the demonic deception of leadership worship. The Caesars in Paul's day were considered to be gods. If you remember our story last week from Peter and uh, King Herod, Agrippa I, and if you remember that, um, that he had put James in and killed him, and then, and then he, people got so excited, so he put Peter in prison and was intending to kill him. And... Um, and so anyways, after they lost Peter, Rome lost Peter. That should be funny. Rome lost Peter. Herod took a vacation. Well, guess what? He went to uh, Sidon and to uh, Tyre where he had, he had people there that he was quarreling with. And so he decided to address those people. So you know what he did? He got dressed in a garb that was made out of silver so that when he walked out into the sunlight, the sun shone off of the silver and shone around like a glorious radiance. And when he spoke, the people said these words, it isn't a man that's speaking, it's a God. And because Herod didn't immediately shut that down, God put worms in him and he died. I think the interesting thing that you see in this passage about leader worship is that it either elevates somebody out of a position that they should not be or it lowers another of a position they should not be. Did you notice that? Because when you say, I follow Paul, then Apollos is nothing. If you say, I follow Apollos, then Paul's nothing. And if you say, you follow Cephas, then Apollo and Paul are nothing. It elevates leader worship. We have that today. We have been trained that way. And notice that in our time, how many leaders have fallen for one reason. Because God is saying, I'm the only one to be on the throne. There is nobody else to be on the throne. Don't you dare put Wayne anywhere other than the place of where Wayne belongs. And that is doing what God calls him to do. And that is it. I love the fact that Paul dethrones himself by saying this, and I want to I I read it to you. I, just, I find it fascinating. If You can go with me to 1 Corinthians uh, 3, 5 through 9. It is just an amazing, so they're talking about leadership again, he, right? He takes these themes on, and he says this in verse 5. What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has, has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, 
and they will each be awarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Nothing. I'm nothing. As Paul is saying to us. Do not put us on a pedestal. Do not raise a, a man or a woman up to a place they do not belong. Leadership is assigned by God. The humility of leadership themselves is to remember this, the obedience of the followers of Christ, only because they're obeying Jesus that they see in their leaders, should they follow their leaders. Hebrews 13, 17 says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Why? Because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So as we have seen obstacles of, of uh, division, obstacles of the word, completeness, peace, and leadership, we come to verse 13. I just, I, and, and just the conviction of verse 13, is Christ divided? Somebody needs to walk away today and say, I've been living a divided life. Is Christ divided? Because it's proving that Christ doesn't live in me. That is a conviction of the word of God because in 1 Corinthians 6, 17 it says, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. If we don't understand that is the heart of God to lead us to oneness with him and a growing oneness with each other, then we really don't know God. That's the truth. It was, it was sin in the beginning that divided us from God. It was sin in the beginning that divided Cain and Abel, and there was a murder. It is always sin that divides. It is the Spirit of God that gathers us together to make them one as, as um, I had no idea he was going to sing that song today. Thank you for that, brother, because um, you really were singing Christ's song to us from, from John uh, 17. Make them one, Father, as you and I are one, because when they are one, then they will know that you're God. We've been in division. We've been blocking. And there are reasons for division. If you're sinning today, as a believer, you're divided from God and the family. Not because he's moved, not because the family's moved, because your sin has moved you. Your sin has moved you. Know that. Hear that. And hear the fact that the God of all creation cries for our hearts to be one. Crying for the spirit of unity in our midst. Romans 15, 5 through 6 says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One one thing of oneness that you'll get is when that man starts playing, we'll start singing in one voice. There's some that are refusing to sing because you can't sing in disunity. You can't do it. Because singing is an expression of the soul outside. Do that again. <laughs> that was enough for me. Outside. 
The second one was a passage that was read in our midst um, last, uh, last Sunday as a core team, and it just, it, it, I came across it again and said it's got to... So it's the cry of the spirit of unity, but it, it has to be the hand of God moving among us. Second Chronicles uh, 30, 12, uh, read by Josiah to us, says this, The hand of God was with the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered, following the word of God. That the so, the cool thing is that when God's spirit moves, we feel his hand moving us to something. Now listen, they had not celebrated the Passover. King Hezekiah was calling the people to celebrate the Passover. There were people, right, Tim? There were people mocking the callers. You think, I'm going to go those people and celebrate the Passover? I don't think so. But there were some who were called by God and they gathered together because the hand of the Lord was on them. Do you feel the hand of the Lord on you today? Do you feel the hand of the Lord drawing you to be close together? That is what our God does. The, the third thing is that a renewed and growing love for each other. So the spirit of unity, hand of God moving us, and a renewed and growing love for each other. Colossians 3.14 And over all these uh, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. God called you to love this family around you. Some of us admit we hardly know each other. How are you doing with that? How are you falling in love with the family of God? It is part of his spirit moving our lives. And if you're sitting on the outside, that's your fault. That's your fault, not God's. Not God's fault. He called you to love. He loved, so loved you. Um, somebody was preaching out of, um, uh, out of 1 John, and uh, I, I was praying with him this week, and he was talking about that. And I, and I, I said, did you know that there's a counterpart to uh, John 3.16? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes him will not perish but have eternal life. You know that one? Well, the counterpart is 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You aren't living it until you're doing John 3.16, receiving the one who loves you in your heart, and if you're not giving it away to others. And so, that was... It was not in my notes, so no extra charge. But yes, sir. Go ahead and read it. Dear friend, since God so loved us, we also have to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I've been coming back to this like while you're reading it. Like, I've been waiting for the moment. <laughs> Well, I think that it's the Spirit of God that's been waiting for this moment, young brother. And we celebrate you next week. We celebrate what God is doing in you. So the cry of the Spirit is unity. The hand of God will move us to unity. And you will know that because there's a renewed and growing love for each other. Okay? I mean, this is, you're getting this? But there's a third one, or fourth one, and you, you need to know this. And this is why I said if anybody is found grumbling against his family. You have the authority of myself and I'm sure our core team to, to uh, rebuke them and to correct them. 
It says this. It's discipline for those who bring divisiveness. Titus 3, 10 through 11. Warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. God called 32 people to write 40 devotions so that for 40 days, as a family, we walk together. Now, God is revealing himself to us today. In America, is so broken up. There's all kinds of personalities that are speaking. All kinds of people have all kinds of opinions. And it is, it is really breaking the church apart. We ourselves have noticed people gone for the very reason. This is not our God. He wants us to be a one people. 